Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith as they're summarized in the Belgic Confession of Faith. Today, with God's help, we'll consider the subject of the Lord's Supper. And in that connection, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew 26, the verses 17 through 30. Hear God's word. Now, on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man. And say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This ends the reading of the Word of God. May the Lord bless his Word to our hearts. Dear friends, God in his mercy has given us two sacraments in order to strengthen our faith. The first is holy baptism, and the second is the Lord's Supper. Now, there's a close connection between these two sacraments. In the first place, both baptism and the Lord's Supper are sacraments. That means they are signs and seals of the covenant of grace. Secondly, both baptism and the Lord's Supper point to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. But there are some important differences as well. In the first place, there are differences regarding the frequency. We partake of baptism only once whereas we partake of the Lord's Supper over and over again. There are also differences regarding the recipients. The recipients of baptism are, as we saw the last time, believers and their children. The recipients of the Lord's Supper are believers only. Thirdly, there are differences regarding the purposes of each. The purpose of holy baptism is to initiate us into the body of Christ, whereas the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to nourish and sustain us in the body of Christ. Now we see here how the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper work together and complement each other. 
They are beautiful gifts which the Lord has bestowed on his church and tremendous sources of comfort and encouragement. Now, the last time we considered the sacrament of holy baptism, and today, with the Lord's help, we want to consider what the Bible teaches concerning the Lord's Supper, as it is summarized in Article 35 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. So with that in mind, let's consider as our theme the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And we'll think about three thoughts in connection with this theme. First of all, the need for this sacrament. Secondly, the mystery of this sacrament. And thirdly, the celebration of this sacrament. The Lord's Supper, as the name suggests, was not instituted by the church. Instead, it was instituted by none other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which is precisely why we call it the Lord's Supper. And this is, in fact, what we confess in the very first line of Article 35 of the Belgic Confession. And there we confess, and I quote, We believe and confess that our Savior, Jesus Christ, did ordain and institute the sacrament of the Holy Supper. Now, we read about that in the passage that we read together in Matthew 26, particularly the verses 26 through 29. There we read of how Jesus and the disciples were in the upper room in Jerusalem. And they went there, you remember, in order to celebrate the Passover feast. Now, the Passover, you remember, was the most important feast day in the Jewish calendar. It was the day in which the Jews commemorated their deliverance from Egypt. On this day, the Jews were required to kill a lamb of one year old and eat it together with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And then they were to take the blood of the lamb and smear it on the doorposts of their houses. And when the angel of death, who had been sent by God to kill all the firstborn in Egypt, when the angel of death saw the blood, he would pass over the home, hence the name Passover feast. And it was at this feast, the feast of the Passover, that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Now, how did this take place? Well, Matthew tells us. At some point in the celebration of the Passover feast, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them. And he said, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And then he added these words, but I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. With those simple words and actions, Jesus instituted a new sacrament, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which we still celebrate today. Now the fact that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper during the Passover feast is highly significant. In so doing, he consciously replaced one with the other. So just as baptism replaces circumcision, so the Lord's Supper replaces the Passover. Now that raises the question, why did the Passover need to be replaced? Well, it needed to be replaced for the same reason that circumcision had to be replaced, because both involved the shedding of blood. In circumcision, blood was shed when the foreskin of the baby was cut off. In the Passover feast, blood was shed when the lamb was killed. But with the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross, no more blood needs to be shed. And this is why Christ replaced the Passover with the Lord's Supper. 
For him not to do so would imply that his sacrifice on the cross was not sufficient, and that even more blood needed to be shed, which of course is unnecessary and impossible. But why did our Lord institute the sacrament in the first place? He did so for two reasons. First of all, to help us to remember him by it. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he said to his disciples, Do this in remembrance of me. So the Lord's Supper serves to remind us what Jesus did to pay the penalty for our sins and to reconcile us to God. His body was broken and his blood was poured out. Secondly, he instituted the Lord's Supper to nourish and strengthen our faith. We confess in Article 35 of the Belgian Confession, and I quote, that our Savior Jesus Christ did ordain and institute the sacrament of the Holy Supper to nourish and support those whom he has already regenerated and incorporated into his family, which is his church. Now, these words, nourish and support, imply that left to themselves, God's people are spiritually weak and hungry. They're weak in the fight and struggle against sin. They're hungry for the Lord and fresh tokens of his nearness and his grace. What is more, they remain weak and hungry their entire life. And this is why the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, to nourish and to support his weak and hungry people. Our confession explains this in more detail when it speaks of the twofold life of the believer. It says there that every believer has a corporal and a temporal life and a spiritual and a heavenly life. The first life we have by virtue of our first birth. The second we have by virtue of our second birth. The first is a product of creation. The second is a product of regeneration. The first is possessed by all. The second is possessed only by believers. So just as God has given us earthly and common bread for the support of the bodily and earthly life, so he has given us living bread for the support of the spiritual and heavenly life. Now, what is that living bread? It is, of course, nothing else than the Lord Jesus Christ. By eating his flesh and drinking his blood, which are represented by the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper, God's people are nourished and strengthened in their faith. Now, is that not a wonderful truth? Do you see how much the Lord cares for us and how much he desires to see our faith in him grow and become stronger? He not only gives us his word, he also gives us his sacraments. In particular, he gives us the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, by which weak faith is strengthened. Now, how does God do that exactly? That is a great mystery. And that brings us to our second point. We've seen that it is by eating the body and drinking the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that believers are strengthened in their faith. Now, herein lies the problem. And the problem is the Lord is not on earth anymore. He is in heaven, seated at the right hand of his Father. So how then can we eat his body and drink his blood? And what is more, what does that mean exactly? Is Jesus teaching us that we must literally eat his body and drink his blood in order to be saved? Well, Roman Catholics say yes. According to their view, when the priest consecrates the bread and the wine of the Mass, 
it somehow magically turns into the actual body and blood of Christ. We call that the doctrine of transubstantiation. That word is derived from the Latin word trans, meaning across, and the Latin word substantia, meaning substance. So literally, transubstantiation means one substance going across or changing into another. And so when the Mass is celebrated, those who partake of it are partaking of the actual body and blood of Christ. That is at least what Roman Catholics teach. Now that view is based on a literal interpretation of the words of institution. When the Lord Jesus Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, this is my body, referring, of course, to the bread. And then referring to the wine, he said, this is the New Testament in my blood. Well, Roman Catholics say that these words are to be taken literally that the bread which we eat is actually the body of Christ, and the wine which we drink is actually the blood of Christ. And so the Mass, then, is nothing less than a reenactment of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. But, dear friends, that is not at all what Jesus meant. When Jesus, speaking of the bread, said, This is my body, he meant, This represents my body. Similarly, when he, speaking of the wine, said, this is the New Testament in my blood, he meant this represents the New Testament in my blood. Now, he does something similar in other passages of Scripture as well. For example, when he says, I am the door in John 10, verse 7, and when he says, I am the vine in John 15, verse 1, he obviously did not mean that he was a literal door or a literal vine. What he meant was that he was like a door or like a vine. And that's the case here as well. When Jesus says, this is my body and this is the New Testament in my blood, he meant this is like or this represents my body and the New Testament in my blood. And yet our confession says that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we actually partake of Christ himself. It comes out in the third paragraph. And again, I quote, it says there, Christ, that he might represent unto us this spiritual and heavenly bread, has instituted an earthly and visible bread as a sacrament of his body, and wine as a sacrament of his blood, to testify by them unto us that as certainly as we receive and hold this sacrament in our hands and eat and drink the same with our mouths, by which our life is afterwards nourished, we also do as certainly receive by faith which is the hand and mouth of our soul, the true body and blood of Christ, our only Savior in our souls for the support of our spiritual life. Now you'll notice as we eat the bread and drink the wine, we also, it says, receive the true body and blood of Christ. Well, how do we understand this? Is the Belgian Confession somehow teaching a form of transubstantiation here? Are we saying, however subtly, that the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper turn into the actual body and blood of Christ? No, of course not. The bread of the Lord's Supper remains bread and the wine remains wine. So how then can we say that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are eating and drinking the actual body and blood of Christ? Well, we are using here what's called sacramental language. Sacramental language is when the sign is so closely identified with the thing signified that it is as if the two are the same thing. Think, for example, of a wedding ceremony. 
In one wedding liturgy of the church, the man and the woman both say, With this ring, I thee wed. Now the ring itself does not make a marriage. But in this case, the sign, which is the ring, and the thing signified, which is their love, are so closely united, it is as if they are the same thing. And that's exactly what we have when it comes to the Lord's Supper. The bread and the wine are so closely connected to the body and blood of Christ that when we partake of them by faith, we are, in a sense, partaking of the actual body and blood of Christ. And so we see then that the Lord's Supper contains this great mystery. Well, on the one hand, we deny that the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper turn into the actual body and blood of Christ, as the Roman Catholics teach. We, nevertheless, affirm, on the other hand, what is eaten and drunk by us is the proper and natural body and blood of Christ. Now, does that mean that everyone who partakes of the Lord's Supper partakes of Christ? No, it doesn't. For we confess here in the fourth paragraph, and I quote, that though the sacraments are connected with the things signified, Nevertheless, both are not received by all men. The ungodly indeed receives the sacrament to his condemnation, but he does not receive the truth of the sacrament. As Judas and Simon the sorcerer both indeed received the sacrament, but not Christ, who was signified by it, of whom believers only are made partakers. So the point being made here is that in order to partake of Christ in the sacrament, we must partake of him by faith. And again, our confession says in the fourth paragraph that the manner of our partaking of him, that is, the manner of our partaking of Christ is not by the mouth, but by the Spirit through faith. And the result is that Christ communicates himself with all his benefits to us and gives us there to enjoy both himself and the merits of his sufferings and death nourishing, strengthening, and comforting our poor, comfortless souls by the eating of his blood, quickening and refreshing them by the drinking of his blood. Well, how does Christ do this? Again, this is a mystery. And that's why our Belgic Confession says that the manner in which he does this surpasses our understanding and cannot be comprehended by us as the operations of the Holy Ghost are hidden and incomprehensible. But the fact remains that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, Christ is actually strengthening our faith. Now, I wonder if you ever think of this when you celebrate the Lord's Supper. You know, celebrating the Lord's Supper can be such a routine. At times, I wonder if we really realize what we are actually doing. And I speak for myself, too. The Belgian Confession reminds us that the Lord's Supper is something mysterious, Something mysterious is going on when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Christ is feeding us with his body and blood for the strengthening of our faith. Well, if that is true, if at the Lord's Supper we partake of the body and blood of Christ by faith, and if Christ in turn actually strengthens our faith, then we must be very careful how we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that brings me to my third point. The scriptures make it clear that we must celebrate the Lord's Supper in the right way. Now, how should we do this? Well, the Reformed form for the Lord's Supper is very helpful in this regard. There we confess that in order to partake of the Lord's Supper in the right way, we must do two things. First of all, we must examine ourselves. 
And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul instructs us to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There Paul writes this, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So before coming to the table of the Lord, we must examine ourselves. The form says this involves three things. First of all, we must consider our sins and the curse due to us for them. Secondly, we must embrace the promise of God that all our sins are forgiven us only for the sake of the passion and death of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, we must be resolved to put sin to death in our lives and to live to the glory of God in all things. Now, if these things are true of us, even to some extent, then we not only may, but we must come to the table of the Lord. Conversely, if we know nothing of these things, then we must stay away, lest we eat and drink damnation to ourselves. Now, to illustrate this, the Belgian Confession mentions Judas and Simon the sorcerer. Now, it's not at all clear that Judas was present at the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Along with the vast majority of commentators, I'm inclined to believe that he wasn't. Nor does the Bible say explicitly that Simon the sorcerer partook of the Lord's Supper. The point is, those who partake of the Lord's Supper without faith eat and drink condemnation to themselves. And just think of the church at Corinth. Because they abused the celebration of the Lord's Supper, the Lord caused some of them to become sick and even to die. Now, that doesn't mean they went to hell, but they certainly were punished. And the Lord will do the same to all those who unlawfully partake of his supper. Secondly, we must direct the Lord's Supper to that end for which Christ has ordained and instituted the same, namely, that we do it to his remembrance. That means the Lord's Supper must be centered on him. He must be the focus, not us. And that's not all. Our confession mentions several other requirements in order to celebrate the Lord's Supper properly. First of all, it says, the Lord's Supper ought to be celebrated in the assembly of the people of God. That means we should celebrate the Lord's Supper in church, during a regular worship service, and by an ordained minister of the gospel, not privately in someone's home. And the reason is because the Lord's Supper is a means of grace, and as such, it is given not to Christians, but to the church which is the dispenser of the means of grace, which is also why it should be celebrated in church. Thirdly, the Lord's Supper ought to be celebrated with humility and reverence. That means we must not treat the Lord's Supper as a common thing, as sadly is done in so many churches today. When we come to the table of the Lord, and when we sit at the table, and when we leave the table, we should do so with the greatest humility and reverence, realizing that the Lord's Supper is a holy sacrament, and that we are utterly unworthy to partake of it. Fourthly, we should celebrate the Lord's Supper, keeping up among us a holy remembrance of the death of Christ our Savior with thanksgiving. And that means when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we should be thinking, not about the person sitting next to us or across from us or the thoughts about business or family life or whatever else, we should be thinking only of Christ. 
And we should do this with thanksgiving. We should do this thankful for all that Christ has done, all that he is doing, and all that he still will do for his own. Fifthly, we should celebrate the Lord's Supper, making their confession of our faith and of the Christian religion. That means that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we should be conscious of the fact that we are thereby confessing that we are Christians and that Christ is our Savior and that we should govern ourselves accordingly. In other words, that this should manifest itself in our everyday lives. Well, let me ask you, do you celebrate the Lord's Supper like that? Do you come to the Lord's Supper having properly examined yourself? And when you're at the table, are you thinking only about Christ? Is there humility and reverence in your attitude and your posture? Do you come with the table with thanksgiving? And when you sit at the table, do you meditate on Christ and on his saving work? Or has the Lord's Supper become for you little more than a bare ritual? You go because you've always gone, and it's expected that you go. But you really don't derive any benefit from it. If so, my friend, you need to confess that before the Lord. You need to say, Lord, I confess that so often I do not come to the Lord's table in the right way. My heart is so cold, my faith is so weak, and I feel like I'm just going through the motions. Oh, quicken me, Lord, that I may never treat your supper lightly, but as it ought to be treated with the utmost reverence and respect. And so we've considered this afternoon the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We've considered, first of all, the need for the Lord's Supper because our faith is so weak. Secondly, the mystery of the Lord's Supper, that although the bread and wine remain bread and wine, yet Christ feeds and nourishes our souls with his actual body and blood when we partake of the bread and wine by faith. And thirdly, we considered the celebration of the Lord's Supper, that we are to celebrate the Lord's Supper after examining ourselves, focusing on Christ, with humility and reverence, and making confession of our faith before God and the world. Dear friends, what a blessing the Lord's Supper is for all who partake of it. What a rich source of comfort for the people of God. Is this also a source of rich comfort for you? Oh, may God give us grace that we may understand, whether that be for the first time or in a deeper way, the blessedness of this holy sacrament. And may the Lord be pleased to bless it for the strengthening of our faith and ultimately the glory of his holy name. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. And Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. 
Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. That's www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can make a donation right on our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.